Hello, I'm Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We're wrapping up the series in Colossians where we've been asking the question, is Christ enough? The Colossian believers wanted more. Simply knowing Christ wasn't enough for them. They also wanted to know and to experience so-called deeper spiritual truths and power. They believed in Christ and in the gospel, but still found themselves looking for more. They were caught in a crosswind of cultures and influences and had started to doubt whether Christ was truly enough to handle all the concerns of their lives. In this episode, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 18, where Paul gives some final instructions to the Colossian church and some shout outs to those who have been laboring with him in the faith. Sometimes it can be tempting to skim over the final parts of a letter. But rest assured, there are still some good nuggets for us to glean from the text. So let's get to it. Now, here in chapter four, Paul is bringing his letter to a close and he's giving some last instructions in verses two through six and then some final greetings in verses seven through 18. So in verse two, Paul tells the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And a couple of things to note in this section. Uh, The phrase in the Greek that Paul uses here is translated as continue steadfastly in prayer in the ESV or translated as devote yourselves to prayer in the NASB. And in the phrase is the verb proskatareo, which carries with it the idea of adhering to or being attentive to something being uh, intentional with showing care and consistency towards something and persevering in that adherence, persevering in that attentiveness, in that care without growing faint. So the prayer that Paul is urging the Colossians to participate in is not these kind of before I eat, uh, before I sleep kind of prayers, but Paul is encouraging the Colossians to take on a lifestyle of prayer. And when someone says a lifestyle of prayer, I know that uh, we struggle with that because we tend to project onto this our mental image of what prayer is, Uh, being alone uh, on our knees, hands folded, eyes closed. And while prayer may take that form at times, prayer is definitely not limited to that form. We would do well to think of prayer as more uh, of a line of communication with God that is constantly open and active. Prayer is less about the content and more about the communication. It's more about the connection. And and what I mean by that is that any form of communication we participate in with God is actually prayer. Whether we are petitioning him for something, thanking him for something, sharing our concerns and our thoughts with him, praising and worshiping him for who he is, all of these should be considered prayer. And so Paul is telling the Colossians that they should be intentional. They should be consistent in their adherence, in their attentiveness, in their devotion to communicating with God about all things at all times. And as they are praying, they are to be two things, he says. They are to be watchful and they are to be thankful. 
They're to be watchful for the issues and the concerns that they and their brother and, and brothers and sisters in the faith need prayer concerning, right? Uh, and they are to be thankful, showing gratitude and appreciation for all that God has done and is doing through Christ. Paul then, in verses three and four, he makes known his own prayer request. He asks that the Colossians would pray for the work of him and his ministry partners, uh, that uh, doors would be opened, opportunities would present themselves for them to continue to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Recall that Paul talks about this mystery in chapter 1, verse 26, namely that through Christ, Gentiles who had been excluded from Israel and the promises of God were now grafted in. They were now adopted into the family of God by means of Christ's work on the cross. Paul goes on to tell the Colossians to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. This really is about them walking in a manner conducting their lives according to the wisdom of God uh, revealed in Christ, living their lives in a way that would make outsiders, that would make unbelievers open to hearing and receiving the gospel. And the best use of our time as believers is to live a life that makes the gospel attractive to others. And a part of that is how we speak and interact with others. Political dynamics and climates in this country, I think, has affected our evangelism to the extent that we believe witnessing is more about debating and having clever arguments and logic traps, right, that kind of confound whoever we're talking to and, and then kind of twist their arms intellectually into conceding that God must be real, Jesus must be his son, and that therefore I must accept him. And instead of, you know, debating and having these clear arguments and, and trying to uh, trap unbelievers in these logic loopholes, we really should be exemplifying and representing the power of Christ in our lives. For some uh, that engage in evangelism, the goal is just to win the argument, not to win a heart to Christ. And some may argue that those aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, they would say that, hey, look, if I win the argument, then uh, they have to concede those points that I mentioned before, that Christ is the Son of God, that God is real, and all those kinds of things that flow from that. Uh, but I would say that if our goal is to win the argument, we'll engage with folks being harsh and condescending and arrogant and dismissive, and then we'll end up doing more damage to their hearts than any good. Paul says that as we're living the new life in Christ in front of unbelievers, we should be gracious. We should be kind. We should be thoughtful in how we speak to them. Our words should draw and not repel. And, and I think it's important for us to spend some time thinking about this because some people we think are rejecting God's truth, but in actuality, they're rejecting our presentation of God's truth. And, and look, that takes some humility and some quiet time with you and the Lord to just really ask, God, am I getting in the way of your truth? If if God truly is irresistible, if his love um, just overwhelms us, if he is marvelous and glorious, then I want to make sure that people see him more than they see me when they engage with me. Uh, and this is not to say that we 
back down from conversations about our faith. This is not to say that we shy away from uh, talking about maybe sensitive topics, but it is to say that if our only goal when we engage, as Paul would say, the outsiders or those that are unbelievers is to score more points on the scorecard, to be able to walk away and pat ourselves on our backs and talk about how good we did and how we showed them, then we're missing the boat. And more importantly, we're missing an opportunity to really represent Christ well. Moving into verse seven, Paul closes out the letter with a list of shout outs. Tychicus, presumed to be the deliverer of the letter, and Onesimus, the slave that had run away from Philemon, who now is a believer, Aristarchus in jail with Paul, Mark, who once Paul had said couldn't travel with him, and um, Justice, all co-laborers with Paul, Epaphras, who is mentioned in other letters by Paul, is serving as Paul's arms and legs while he is in prison, Luke, the physician and gospel writer, and Damas, who unfortunately we find out in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, will later leave Paul. And then there's Nympha, a wealthy widow who hosted a church in her home, and Archippus, who it seems needs a nudge to do what God has called him to do. And, and while we might be tempted to just kind of read quickly through this part and consider it just closing comments and Paul just being kind and gracious and trying to make sure he doesn't leave anybody out as he goes through his list of those he, that he wants to thank. I think that there are a few nuggets to glean from these closing verses. First, we see that these things are happening, right? The, the events and the issues that the Colossians are facing, the, the uh, encouragement and the admonishment that Paul is giving them, uh, even in a larger more comprehensive scope, uh, just the life of Jesus and his teachings and his miracles and his interactions. All of these things are happening with, with real people in real communities, in real life situations. And, and we can, to a certain degree, trace these folks through other New Testament writings and see how their lives were impacted as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the people mentioned by Paul reflect a pastoral concern for the Colossian believers and the believers in Laodicea and in Hierapolis and serve as an example of how they should be as they walk in wisdom towards the outsiders, the they being the Colossian believers. And, and, and as those outsiders, they themselves become believers, then the same way that this list of folks that Paul takes time to call out that have labored and have prayed and have sacrificed for the Colossian believers in the same way that those folks did that for them. I think what Paul is kind of laying out for them is that this should be the model for how those Colossian believers now engage with those outsiders who have become believers, those future new converts who will be added to the church. Lastly, I think it's important to point out too that in this list, we see a group of people with different backgrounds, different situations, and different circumstances. In Mark, for example, you see someone that Paul said, look, uh, because you deserted me once before, I don't want you to travel with me. Uh, but now we see that he considers Mark to be helpful and to be useful for the cause of Christ. Then on the flip side, we see uh, Damas, who is here and present and working with Paul, 
But then in Second Timothy, we find out who has he he has left Paul because he's fallen in love with the riches of the world. And I say all that not to be kind of a gloom and doom, but I think even that is, is a window into the first point about these are real people in real life situations facing real life circumstances. They've got their flaws. They've got uh, their proclivities. They've got their own issues. Uh, these folks aren't saints who never messed up. Uh, and they aren't uh, irredeemable uh, or unredeemable and to the point that they can't be brought back from failure. But at the same time, they aren't buffered from temptation and they aren't, you know, exempt from those things that can cause us to fall. And I just think this is a, a clarion call for wherever we may find ourselves in our Christian journey. If you consider yourself to be uh, very spiritually mature, if you consider yourself to be on the front line for Christ, if you consider yourself to be part of the group that is laboring and praying and sacrificing for others and engaging non-believers with gracious speech and with love and with kindness, be watchful. Be watchful, because just like Damas, you could fall away. You could fall in love with the riches of the church. You could be led away. You could slip. You could fall. And then your testimony could all be for naught. But if you find yourself having slipped and fallen, maybe messed up in some way, maybe have deserted the faith, so to speak, uh, there is an opportunity for reconciliation and redemption as we see even in Mark. And I think that in this list, while we may not necessarily consider these folks to be New Testament superstars, they are real people, as I've said, with real life, real circumstances, and the Spirit of God has included them, not just as a footnote, but also for our benefit to see ourselves in the text, not only with the Colossian believers, not only just with what Paul is doing, but also with these who have come alongside Paul, who have uh, ups and downs, ebbs and flows, who have shining moments and maybe not so mo uh, proud moments, to see that, one, we should be watchful, as Paul says, as we pray, but then also to see that there can be restoration, that there can be reconciliation, that redemption is an ongoing process, no matter where you may find yourself. If you are named amongst the believers of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is always there and is always available. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.